This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. My name is Christopher. I'm one of the leaders here, uh, the associate pastor to be precise. And it is a real joy and a privilege to gather together and to be able to learn, open the Bible, uh, celebrate Jesus. I, I love it. I don't know about you, but I always love when the preach gets preached by the worship. <laughs> that is a great thing. So all the big points, all the big themes that that I feel God wants to, to impart and, and lay on our hearts this morning came through the worship. Joy, Jesus, I suppose, as always. Um, our obedience, giving our lives for Him. Man, those are big themes that we, we're going to touch on all the way through our, our preach um, as we enjoy the Scriptures. I don't know about you, but couple of weeks in from the winter break and I'm already feeling a bit wasted. I'm already feeling a bit run down. I need a holiday from the holiday already. We kind of kick into autopilot mode. Uh, I'm back just in, in routine. It's the thing that's keeping us alive, uh, certainly keeping me alive. Uh, getting stuck into work and doing what needs to be done. And we sort of just plow in ahead. And it requires a real moment to interject and to get me to stand back again and just consider, why do I do this? What's it all about? Why, why do I spend my days doing what I do? And I, I, maybe you ask the same questions from time to time. And I, I feel like our readings in Mark, uh, and the other day when, when my three got together, we were sort of reflecting on what is it that, that God's been saying to us. And, and now more recently in the book of Acts, where we're together as a church in our 5 by 5 readings, um, it, it's got us and me asking the question, what is important? Why do I do what I do? What do I chase after? What do I long for? And do these things line up with God? I don't think it's a far stretch to say that the things that we seek are generally things that we hope will bring us joy in life. We work, when it comes to the work environment, we work because uh, we hope that the resources, the money that work gives can give us things that we enjoy. Our holidays, our cars, our iPads, comfort. Maybe you desire to be generous. Work comes is one of the means of doing that. The freedom to choose. Hopefully, we actually gain some actual joy out of the work we do as well. But I know people, you know people, who uh, will tolerate a bad job for the sake of getting what they can get out of it at the end of the month, rather than the actual work. It does seem as though we're hardwired to seek out things 
that bring us joy and to sidestep the ones that we think won't bring us joy or look like a bit of hard work. I don't think that's a bad thing though. I do think that God has put that inside of us as an innate desire to seek good, to seek joy, to seek pleasure. But there are different levels of joy, aren't there? I think if we eat uh, that chocolate bar at the end of the day, it's kind of a one out of ten pleasure. Uh, When you go for the jog after the chocolate bar, it's kind of a two out of ten pleasure, right? Um, If you save up for years and years and you eventually buy that motorhome that you've always desired, man, that's like a seven or an eight out of ten, right? That's pretty, pretty up there. And then when you're able to use that motorhome on the Croatian coastline, that's a nine, bordering ten joy. And when you get that raise that you don't deserve and it doesn't come with any extra work, that's like a 12 out of 10, right? (laughs) But as lovely as these things are and as much joy as they do bring us, the joy does not last, does it? And nor is that joy full and complete. In our readings in Mark 8, a couple of days or a couple of weeks ago, um, the disciples asked the question, who do people say that I am? And also, who do you say that I am? And I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that in our three. I wrestled with that as I was reading these scriptures. Who? Well, I know who my people say that Jesus is. But who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say He is? What is He for me? And if I say what He is, do I believe what I say that He is? And if I believe that, do I live the way that I believe I say what He is? Oh, it's enough to do your head in sometimes. But when the Bible talks of joy, it is a deeper, fuller, more complete, all-satisfying, all-encompassing, eternal pleasure of body, mind, and spirit. Mm. That sounds mouth-wateringly brilliant. But I think if we were honest with ourselves, most of us don't often experience that. We don't often walk in that joy. At times, yes, but I want that to be all the time. And again, if you're a skeptic this morning, and and if you were being honest with yourself, you'd probably strongly consider becoming a Christian if you knew there was that kind of joy promised to those who are Christians. You'd probably jump at it, right? Well, the Bible says that there is that joy. And it is found in an initially somewhat counterintuitive place. We normally seek joy in things that we can buy, things that we can do, and hopefully through that it affects our lives in such a way that we can have it on a regular or constant basis. That's kind of the way that we function within society at large. And I think... What the Bible talks about is joy and full joy. 
is that it doesn't come from what we do and what we gain initially. It comes from who we are. And then it flows out into what we do. So friends, I am with you on this journey because I'm standing in the front of the queue saying, I want the fullness of joy that the Bible and Jesus promised me. I want to live in it. I want to believe it. I want to breathe it. I want to have everything that it promises. Do you want that too? Well, let's turn to a wonderful scripture in John 15 that can help us find and pursue a life of full and complete joy. And if you're a little bit concerned, is this all about hedonism and making me feel good? Let's see. Let's see. Let's read John 15, verse 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There it is. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, has no, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Father, we love your word. Maybe this is a passage we've heard many, many times before. Maybe we're overly familiar with it. But Father, we ask that these words would penetrate our hearts and our barriers and our comfort this morning. We want to pursue full joy. We know it's your desire that we would have it, and we long for it in all its fullness, all its goodness for us, that you would be glorified. Amen. Amen. So you want a full and complete joy... First, abide in Christ as the priority of your life. So, Christopher, we've heard this before. 
hear it again. I feel that God is with us in this. God wants to show us something this morning. Ask God to help us live it. I think joining in with the five by five readings is super helpful in just helping kickstart this process as well. But abiding is a word that's fallen into disuse in the English language. Hey, Mark. The word abide means to live in, close by, with someone, to reside, to live with. And this is, in fact, one of the Apostle Paul's great themes of his writing, to abide in Christ, to be in Christ. He got it from Jesus. So my wife, Lorette, and I, we live in close proximity to each other, but so do my kids, so do Dan and Heather, so do Andy and Helen out there in Cleve. So we abide with each other, but there's only one other person that abides in me, and I in them. And that's my wife, Lorette. Since we've become one flesh through marriage and through sex, we abide in one another. So we abide with the Keats, but I abide in my wife. Difference. Important distinction. And that's the imagery that John is going for in our passage. He starts off... He uses the vine and the branches image. And I, I, I want to I add in the kind of marriage picture. Because in the same way that branches and trees are indistinguishable from one another, so too a husband and a wife become indistinguishable from one another. One flesh, they abide in one another. As Jesus abides in the Father and the Father abides in Jesus, they are indistinguishable. And the encouragement for us is that we would become indistinguishable from Christ as we abide in Him. We've heard this before. But this is, a, this is hard. This is, how do we do this Let's quickly rush, do a rush read of John 15 again. We literally go, doo, 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 and see how many times the word abides comes up. So let's go. Well, I'm the vine, abide in me, unless it abides in the vine, unless you abide in me. Uh, whoever abides in me, anyone who does not abide, if you abide in me, abide in my love. You will abide in my love, commandments, and abide in His love. Your fruit should abide. It's 10 or 11. 10 or 11 times that word abide crops up in our passage. That's a lot of abiding. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. So why is abiding in Christ important in our pursuit of full and complete joy. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, abiding 
gives us access to the heart and the mind of Jesus. As my wife and I abide with one another and in one another's love, there's a safety that inspires learning and dialogue and discussion and debate and change. We start acting more like one another. I don't know if you've noticed, I've noticed it. We act a lot more like each other 14 years on than we did when we started. We say similar things. We act similar ways. We've got similar mannerisms. I call them upalisms. We sound alike. We share similar passions. And before we know it, there's a fruitfulness that comes from our abiding. Little apples start growing on the apple tree. So as we abide in Christ, His passions, His desires, His nature, His character, His plans, His loves become clear to us. And as we grow increasingly confident in our identity abiding in Christ and our safety of abiding in Christ and in His love, We can't then abuse, and we won't then abuse the promises of Jesus to give us everything we ask for. So, you won't be asking for selfish, temporary things that we think will give us joy, but actually never end up satisfying you. We won't end up asking for that Ferrari or that house we don't need, or that leather jacket that just looks so, mm, but it doesn't. No, we will be asking big and scary prayers. Scary things that line up with Christ's mission to fill the earth with the glory of His Father. We will orientate our lives Accordingly, according to his passions, according to his character, his nature that is being formed in us. And the things that we then need and we ask for will will be born out of a place of prayer and passion to see his purposes prevail. Then, no height, no depth, no angels, no demons, no created things in all of creation will hold back the flow of God's mercy and grace to us to achieve the things that He wants for us. Oh, the joy of those answered prayers. Abiding in His love gives us the safety and then the resources to learn from Him, become like Him, and before we know it, there's a fruitfulness to our lives that looks wonderfully like Jesus. As we then prove that we are His disciples and His followers. Verse 7, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. So if you're anything like Me, the moments of feeling the greatest real joy And full and complete joy has been when I felt safe, when I felt at peace with God, when I felt I'm pleasing Him, when I felt useful to Him and His people and His plans and His passions. 
when I've been closest to the one in whom I abide. Let's go for that, God, first. Let's pursue joy in the pleasure of Jesus. There is no job on earth. There is no place on earth. There is no family on earth, no money on earth, no health and no six-pack that brings the same fullness and complete joy as abiding in Christ. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on John, Jesus has promised my peace and insists that his followers remain in my love, in his love, now that he promises them his joy. Lest the constraints of unqualified obedience mandated in verse 9 and 10 seem gray and joyless, Jesus insists that his own obedience to the Father is the ground of his joy. He promises that those who obey him will share the same joy. Indeed, that his very purpose in laying down such demands is that their joy may be complete. So if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that, your, uh, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wow. Keeping commands, commandments is about obedience. Obedience is a bit of a swear word in our culture. Particularly for us as adults. We expect it of kids, but we certainly don't expect it of adults. Maybe even of ourselves. Even in church life, I think we happily follow until it means following will cause us to have to change our lives in a way that will be uncomfortable for us. Friends, if that is you, it's me too, then we are splashing in the shallow end of the joy pool. But God invites us, Jesus invites us to come and swim deeper. I really think that's where many of us are missing out regularly on the full and complete joy that Jesus promises. Again, Carson, he says, what is presupposed in that is that human joy in a fallen world will be at best ephemeral, shallow, incomplete. Is that your experience of joy? It's mine. Until human existence is overtaken by the experience of the love, God, the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love for which we have been created. A mutual love that issues on obedience without reservation. Wow! Obedience without reservation. There's a flowing of mutual love that takes place. There is an adventure for each one of us as we abide in Christ and follow His commands obediently. Jesus doesn't promise this adventure will be easy. He doesn't promise it will be cheap. He doesn't promise it will be successful. Certainly by human standards. In fact, quite the opposite. He says in this life, you will have troubles. 
but He promises to abide in us and compel us by His love to act and then by this mutual flowing of love to freely give us everything we ask for that we can faithfully and daily obediently follow Him. That is where the joy comes from. Knowing an abiding love that is empowered by Jesus Himself and demonstrates uh, and is demonstrated through obedience. So I came to faith a January morning in 2003. I went to bed a non-Christian, an unbeliever, no Christian friends, no church connections. I woke up with an awareness of God, His holiness, my lack of holiness, and my need for Him. It took me a couple of weeks. I worked my way towards a church. Um, I literally did not know a church. And I'd been a Christian for about a month. Uh, when during the, the time of singing, I, I just I felt I wanted to sit down and just close my eyes and sort of just ponder things. But I felt the, the presence and power of God just come all over me in His great grace and mercy. And He, I, I felt I was being led through desert where ruins had collapsed in on itself. The dust and sand and weeds had just sort of started growing everywhere and and then he, he, he took me by the hand through this jungle waste, this, this, this overgrown jungle. And, and there were these ruins that have collapsed in there and the ferns and the things had grown all over it. And I felt God say to me that, Christopher, I want to use you to help rebuild the dead cities, the ruins I want to use you to help build a city of God in these old ruins. And I felt he wanted to use my international background of moving all over the show, different continents, different countries, my ability to access languages, and my ability to bridge cultures as a way to help advance his kingdom. And that is why we are here today. That's why this guy with the funny accent is standing up front <coughs> opening scriptures with you. Lorette and I abided as husband and wife and she learned to embrace the call of God that I felt on my life to go to the nations. And our kids, I hope, are growing up learning watching, seeing that mom and dad love the joy they get in following Jesus obediently, even to the ends of the world, more than their family, their country, their friends, and Breifles. But I'm not going to lie to you. We have gone through some very tough times in following Jesus. We have cried and we have sobbed 
broken bank accounts, broken hearts, family members growing old, family members dying, friends dying, all while we're following Jesus all over the globe. It's tough. Disappointment, heartache. But I can also tell you, and my wife will say this, that faithfully obeying Jesus as best we could has brought us a fuller and more complete joy than anything else ever could. No family, no bryflace, no friends, no being in our own country, no good weather in South Africa. His promise to give us His joy as we abide in Him and obey Him has never failed us. In our strongest moments, we have weak moments, but in our strongest moments we'd say we would do it all over again. Because the joy has been full. And I don't tell you this story to make you feel bad for us or go... Or as the model of obedience, please do neither of those things because there are men and women in this room who I am in awe of their obedience. They might not have crossed continents, but their obedience is equal and greater than what I've just experienced. But I tell you this because it's my story. It's my story. And my story means something to me Your story means something to you. And our stories build one another up in our faith, in our trust that as we faithfully and obediently follow Jesus, the joy of doing so is greater than wishy-washing our way through the Christian life. Sadly, So many of us oftentimes feel this gray, joyless, dull sense of duty in obeying Jesus that Carson was talking about. This is a symptom of the Christian ritual rather than out of the relationship of abiding and obeying from a place of being loved. This is a red flag, friends being waved in our faces. Wonderfully, we do not condemn each other because we all go through it. And Jesus speaks into this joyless obedience. He's not somehow surprised by it. He's not caught off guard by our joyless obedience at times. Or our joyless disobedience, for that matter. He seems to indicate that it's part of our journey, but that it's not the end destination. The end destination is a full joy, complete joy in Jesus. So he says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command so that you will love one another. 
You see, when we try and serve outside of abiding in Jesus, when we try to obey outside of abiding in Jesus, we do it like servants. That word is also translated slaves. We do it as servants or slaves. We, we are like those who don't know the mind of our master, his thoughts, his desires. Slaves and servants get things done. But not knowing why they do it, often their obedience is to avoid punishment or to earn their supper. Oh, that's not our end destiny. People of Cheltenham, God first. Jesus no longer calls you servant or slave. He calls us friends. And He invites us to abide in Him, to know His love, to know His heart, and to work with Him to see His passions revealed and released. And to know His perfect and complete and full joy as we do that. Why do we put on a quiz night? I tell you, it's not because we like quizzes. I do, but that's not why we do it. It's because we are not slaves or servants. That's why we do it. We put on quizzes because we are friends of Jesus. And friends of Jesus want to create intentional moments where Jesus and the people that He loves can come together. That is why we put on quiz nights. Because people are Jesus' passion, people become our passion. And we create moments for those passions to connect. He doesn't call us friends because we somehow have earned our right to be called so. It's not through our obedience that we somehow become friends. He has chosen us by His grace. And when Jesus died on the cross... He took yours and my place and took yours and my punishment onto Himself. The innocent one, Jesus, getting what He did not deserve so that those who deserve it can receive righteousness, freedom, forgiveness, and become friends. That's why we're friends. Because He chose us. Not earned or deserved, but freely given. So that the Father would be glorified. So it's none of our doing. It's not on our watch that somehow something happened. It's the free gift that God gives us. That the Father would be glorified as we abide in Jesus and bear much fruit. And we ask Him, whenever we then ask Him the things that we need, the things that we want to fulfill living obedient lives, He provides out of His generosity and kindness and love and joy. Even quiz nights He gives us so that we can bring His people together. So I, I tell you, as someone who works with people every day, I know many of you do, so you can relate. People are tough. You people are tough. 
but I love you. I love you because Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His life as a ransom for yours. And I know that, and I believe that, because I abide in Jesus to the very best of my ability. And that abiding compels me to love you. I love Cheltenham because Jesus loves Cheltenham. I love the nations because Jesus loves the nations and gave himself up for them. We sold our home in South Africa so that we could do, come out and do the things that we feel God called us to. We gave it all for the cause of Christ. Because our joy is fuller and more complete when we are obediently following His commands and seeing His provision whenever we call on Him. When we say, God, we want this now. Man, we could tell you stories. Our house has got five things in that we bought. Five pieces of furniture that we've bought. Everything else in that house is the kindness of God. Abiding in Jesus will push you. His love for people will push you further than you want to go. He will push you beyond what you want to give. He will push you towards places you do not want to live in. He will push you towards languages that you do not yet know. He will push you to the breaking point of your ability to handle things, and then He will push you past it. Then, friends, when there is nothing left of our pride, or our self-sufficiency, or our own wisdom, or our own ability, Jesus says, ask now. Whatever you want in my name, and I will give it to you. Because you are obediently following me, and your requests are for that cause of obedience. And your joy will be full. I will give you my joy, says Jesus. When relationships start breaking down in our G1Cs or in family or friends, in our workplaces, your joy in Jesus will allow you to do whatever it takes to fix it and glorify God who gave you the strength. And when your job is tough, your joy will remind you that you are not what you do. You are a friend of Jesus chosen to bear much fruit in that place. And when love of money starts taking hold of you, joy in Jesus will remind you that you can be recklessly obedient in your generosity and yet not lack for anything. This is wonderful. No workplace persecution could stand in the way of you loving people when your joy is overflowing. Obedience is a double whammy. Obedience is opens the floodgates of the grace of God towards us 
where for whatever we need to follow him well and it is the source of the greatest and fullest and most complete joy this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends well friends we need this double whammy of joy that comes from abiding with jesus daily to help get us up every morning, to keep us going through the daily obedient journey of the ups and downs of life as we love one another as Christ has loved us. And as we lay down our lives for one another as Christ has laid His down for us. And then, getting up again tomorrow to do it all over again. Only God's joy could do that. This is one of the reasons why we keep saying, don't miss Sundays. Don't miss your community groups. Don't miss your communities. We falsely think that taking a Sunday off or taking off during the week, going just, I need to sleep in or I just need to take a break or I need to go and do this or do that. We falsely think that these things will allow us, give us the energy, give us the capacity to do the things we need to do. Now, I'm all for taking a break, so please don't hear what I'm not saying. But the reality is that seeking full joy in faithfully and obediently following Jesus should be so hard and so sapping that we need to abide with one another as much as we need to abide in Jesus. More than we need our weekends away. Rethink things, prioritize. I'm going to leave it there. For me to fully pursue joy in Jesus, I need you. I need you. For me to fully pursue joy in Jesus. And for you to fully pursue joy in Jesus, you need me. We need each other. We spur one another on to love and good works, as the writer of Hebrews says. Friends, let's help one another pursue full and complete joy. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.